With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to say an important message on behalf of Colin and I. The recent murder of George Floyd due to police brutality that has caused countless protests around the world has put everything on hold for a few weeks now, and rightfully so. We fully support the Black Lives Matter movement due to racial injustices that have always existed, and we recognize that the systemic racism needs to be rooted out within the police, the government, society as a whole, and even in hockey specifically. This applies to both the United States and Canada, since we are not any better with how we have treated and continue to treat Indigenous peoples of Canada. We have been encouraged with the movement so far, as there are even white hockey players who are speaking out and taking real action, which is essentially unprecedented. The NHL likes to promote that anyone can play, but the reality is that hockey has been an incredibly exclusionary sport, and stories from Akeem Alou, Evander Kane, JT Brown, P.K. Subban, and other black athletes recently have showcased how far we have to go as a sport in order to be inclusive to minorities. As two white men, Colin and I are extremely privileged, and we recognize that we can never fully know what it is like to be a person of color. However, we are always wanting to listen and learn so that we can be part of the solution. Not only that, it is important to amplify voices from people of color and give them a proper platform. On that note, we both recognize that we can do a better job by being more inclusive to minorities on the show. Hockey has traditionally been a sport for white men, and we really want to change that narrative so that it's truly for everyone. Some might say, stick to hockey, but when you have an issue that is this large, it is impossible to ignore. We urge you to support the Black Lives Matter movement, and we hope you continue to donate as much as you can, sign as many petitions as you can, amplify as many black voices as you can, and contact as many government officials as you can so that Canada and the United States can take a legitimate step toward eliminating systemic racism. This movement is just beginning and change will not come overnight, but I do feel optimistic about where it is heading. Don't forget, we're all human and we all want to be treated with the same amount of respect, so we sincerely hope that you share that sentiment as well. Thank you for waiting on this episode, thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who is making a real difference in this world. Thank you. Hello and welcome to episode Nick Foligno of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore, and I'm really excited for today's episode because it's episode 7 of Draft Debaters. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, welcome. Uh, but every episode, I'm joined by two scouts from the public sphere uh, where I put a magnifying glass on their draft rankings and have them debate their most disagreed prospects. Uh, but before I introduce them today, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening and following along so far. You've actually managed to uh, jump us up into the top 20 for hockey podcasts in Canada this past week, which I've been blown away by. So a huge thank you to everyone who's been tuning in. But you weren't here to hear me ramble on because it's draft debaters and the stars of the debaters. So uh, let's meet the scouts. And I'm extremely happy to be joined by these two guys. So on my virtual left, he is the director of North American Scouting for Dauber Prospects. And he's everyone's favorite bald scout. So welcome to the show, Tony Ferrari. Tony, how's it going? Hey, Colin, how's it going? Awesome. Really glad to have you on. 
Um, hopefully you're familiar to all of our Sense Fangless listeners because uh, you've also been providing so much excellent content for uh, Dobra as the Senator's prospect writer. So, um, But you've got some excellent competition today as on my virtual right, he's the guy behind the website Futurescope Hockey. Welcome to the show, Alex Taxman. Alex, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Colin. Awesome. I'm extremely happy to have you guys on today. So uh, let's talk about some of the prospects of the draft. So just a quick refresher about the format for uh, our listeners. I've chosen four prospects that you two disagree on, uh, at least in terms of your draft rankings. Um, Then you each have a chance to just talk about each one, plus a chance to give a uh, rebuttal as well. So it's all in good spirit with the goal just to get a variety of perspectives. Um, as drafting really isn't a science, I think we've all kind of seen true through the series. Yeah, so for Alex, we'll, we'll be using your draft rankings board that you keep updated on your site, Futuroscope Hockey, as I mentioned. And for Tony, uh, you've graciously given us uh, a sneak peek for your upcoming rankings, which I'll be referring to today. Uh, so the first prospect of discussion today, uh, we're starting with a big one, and that's Alexander Holtz. Uh, he's one of the many incredible forwards of this draft class. Uh, he's a winger. He plays for uh, your Gordon in the SHL. Uh, he's a consensus top 10 pick, and you guys both have him uh, just inside that range uh, but with uh, different placements. So for Alex, you have him all the way high up at fifth overall, uh, whereas Tony, you have him down at 10th. So uh, let's start with Alex. Uh, what do you like most about Holt's game? So the most important thing and the most valuable thing in the NHL are goals. And nobody shoots the puck better than Alexander Holtz in this draft class. He is an absolute sniper on the wing. Uh, He can score from distance. He can score from in tight. He's got a great wrist shot. He's got a great one-timer. He's really everything that a team is going to be looking for in a first-line goal-scoring winger. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess in terms of Holtz's game, besides his shot, do you find that he has other tools as well that you that uh, keep you convinced of him as a top ten prospect? Yeah, so he's obviously not the quickest player in the world. He's not like his uh, Swedish counterpart Lucas Raymond, who's just going to take over a game with his speed and skill. But Holtz's edge work is excellent. Uh, he's great on his inside edges. He's got that extra gear when he needs it. He can kick it into overdrive, and he can really take over a game. Uh, he can play down the wing. He can play. He can attack the middle of the ice, and he just gets shots on net with so much volume and such consistency that it's hard to see him not being, you know, a thirty, forty goal guy in the NHL. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, he, he's scoring is the name of his game. And I guess just over to Tony, is there anything that you, that has you a bit less convinced of Holtz's game? So with. This is the the hard part about doing something like this with with a guy like Alexander Holtz because I I disagree with absolutely nothing that that Alex just said. Uh, he's got one of the best shot. He's got the best shot in the in the draft this year. He like like Alex said, he shoots with extreme volume. He sh- he can score from out out far and in close. But I think one of the things that with Holtz that kind of maybe doesn't necessarily put me off, but allows me to kind of move other guys ahead of him in the ranking is that. He shoots really, really high danger chances at a very low rate. Uh, he's a guy that shoots from all over the ice, but there's a vast majority of his shots are coming from deep. And the scary thing is my ranking at, at 10, 9, 10 isn't really fair. And I'm, I'm willing to admit that because if he ever gets that that drive to get to the middle, he's going to be maybe the best goal scorer in the NHL at, at, during certain seasons. Because his shot is unreal. He's a guy that he 
he just my issue is that he shoots from too far out sometimes but he like alex said he, he's got the extra gear he's got the skating and it's it's more a a testament to the draft class than uh, a negative on on alexander holtz yeah totally and and i guess over to alex uh again do you find that there's um anything that maybe convinced you more that he can be able to translate this shot to the nhl because of course we've seen some shooters in the past in the draft some of these star shooters uh who, who kind of just end up uh fizzling out a year or two later or end up not having as big of an impact yeah it's just that he's been able to score from that kind of distance with this kind of consistency over kind of the past two seasons he scored at almost a goal per game clip in the super elite in his draft minus one season which is just ridiculous i think he had something like 30 goals in 38 games um and if he can get you know if you can put him on a line with a distributor and if you can get him on the power play and you can get him to set up like five, 10 feet closer to the net. It, that's just a lights out goal score right there. And when you really think about it, those are, those are small things in the grand scope of a player. Totally. And, and I guess the, another thing I want to point out with Holt is that some of his underlying numbers have not been quite up to par with maybe some of his peers, such as Lucas Raymond and even Noah Gungler to an extent. So uh, maybe Tony, I'm wondering if, if if you think that maybe there's potential to be worked on with his defensive game, or you've, if that's even an issue to you, given that he has such an elite uh, shot and offensive um, acumen. Well, that's that's kind of the thing with, with Alex, Alexander Holtz is that in this range between that like five to ten, five to eleven range with these guys is I, I'm starting to have to get Nick picky with guys, right? And and I'm I'm lucky because I have a little bit of access to some some not data that's not necessarily public. So like for reference, you you mentioned Gunler there, and his his pass completion percentage is is slightly below Gunler's, and it's it's slightly below the average at uh, about seventy three point nine percent. And and the other thing is with his defensive game, like you mentioned, uh, his percentage of 50 50 battles and challenges that he wins is is extremely low and, and that was actually something i was a little bit shocked to see because when i see him go into battles a lot of time in in the shl i find he does really really well and it's weird that both metrics his pass completion percentage and his challenge winning percentage are both lower at the the sa or at the super elite level than they were at the shl level uh he i don't think he's gonna have any issues translating to the nhl and like I said earlier, the, the, the ranking of nine or 10 is kind of a, a testament to the guys ahead of him rather than a, a negative on him. Because some if someone does end up drafting Alexander Holtz at 10th overall, 11th overall, they're going to be getting the best goal scorer in the draft and they're not going to be able to complain about it at all. And, and that's just a testament to how deep this draft is at the top. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's been kind of interesting to see a, sort of a consensus top 12 or 13 form over, over the past uh, few months at the draft. And, and these guys are, de- or Alex Holtz is definitely still in that tier for both of you guys at the very top as one of the drafts elite. So uh, I, I just want to pose the same question over to Alex uh, if you want to get a word in. Um, do you find that there's any concern for you with Holtz's defensive game or if that even uh, is taken into consideration for you? Uh, yeah, I think there's definitely some room for concern with his defensive game he's really he's never going to be you know selkie type guy um but he's got this kind of gung-ho style of of just attacking the blue line when opposing defensemen have the puck and sometimes it can pull him way out of position but sometimes it can spring him and when he gets going he get he kicks into that extra gear and it's an odd man rush almost every time 
Yeah, and uh, there's there's certainly lots of bouncing factors with with all these top prospects. And as, as Tony mentioned, it's, it's it definitely becomes a bit nitpicky when we get to the very very top, and there's so many elite players to choose from. But um, I, I just want to give the last word to Tony because there's there's one last thing. Um, I think it was worth mentioning for Holtz is, is because he played in the SHL this year. So he got to play against men, um, which is something that, of course, players in the CHL can't can't say for themselves. So I'm wondering if that maybe uh, affects um, your ranking at all positively or just your view of Holtz as maybe a potential NHLer. Well, anytime a guy plays in pro hockey, whether it's Noel Gunler, Alexander Holtz, Anton Lundell, guys over in Europe you're going to have to look at them and you're not going to be able to look at their stats because a lot of times like their raw numbers are going to be fairly low because of having to play in the SHL and playing against players who are generally five, 10 years older than him at times. So I, I don't fault him at all for his low stats, but that's why when I did, when I did take a look at his underlying stats, like the passing metrics and the, in the defensive challenge metrics, I, I wanted to compare him strictly to, to guys like Gundler and Raymond because they're playing in the same league, so they have the same experiences. And Raymond actually is, is quite a bit ahead of both of them in completion percentage and, and challenge percentage. But Gundler is the guy that kind of fits right in, same kind of range with, with uh, Alexander Holtz. They're vir- virtually identical in expected goal impact as well. But like, like you said, Holtz has the insane shot. He's going to be an, a, an, ex- an efficient goal scorer at the next level. And, and like Alex had said, if there's if there's a coach that can get him to take those extra five feet in the offensive zone, he's he's going to go from a guy that's a potential 40 goal scorer to a guy that's a potential 50 goal scorer overnight. So I, I don't have any ill will against Alexander Holtz or his game, really. Yeah, for sure. And it definitely comes down to a lot of personal preference, even at this time in, in the draft. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I think that we've covered pretty much everything I wanted to talk about about Holt. So I think I want to move on to the second player of discussion, uh, and that's another forward in, in Thomas Bordelow. Uh, he's a centerman for the U.S. National Development Program. Uh, he, led his, he actually led the team in scoring this year with 46 points in 47 games. Um, I mean, it's not quite the incredible level that we saw out of uh, last year's USDP crop, but he's uh, he's still projected to be taken in around the early to mid second round. So uh, as for your guys' rankings, Tony, you have him just inside the first round at 31st, where uh, Alex, you have him into the third round, uh, just at the top of the third round at 66. So uh, we'll start with Tony this time. Um, what's your assessment of Bordelow's game that puts you uh, that puts him high on your board? Well, the big thing I have with Bort, like I, I like with Bordelow, is he's far and away the most consistent offensive threat on that team, outside of maybe Matthew Beniers, who's eligible for next year's draft. Uh, but when you look at his his uh, scoring chances per sixty, he's actually producing over one and a half scoring chances more than the second best player, who's Dylan Peterson on that team, and uh, he's producing almost four point or four four scoring chances per sixty. Uh, he's an, an elusive player. He. I see him slip by got big defenders along the wall or, or squeeze between two two defenders to cut cut down the middle of the offensive zone in traffic. He he's got excellent vision and and uh, he's creative. He's super super creative and he's a guy that I think has some bust factor to him. So I, I totally understand when I see people rank him a little bit lower. 
but he's he's one of these guys that if he can get a little bit bigger because he is five nine, he's only 179 pounds. Uh, but if if he can kind of put a little bit more meat on that frame, he's got the speed and the agility to to be a really effective player. But uh, yeah, his uh, his size is going to be a uh, is going to be a, a hurdle that he has to get over. But the the creativity and offensive instincts he has are just something that it, it's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and over to Alex, is, is there a, is your assessment of Bordalo any different than Tony's? Uh, it's pretty much along the same lines. Uh, one of the main things that I love about his game is just he's got eyes in the back of his head. He's so, so, so creative. He sees the ice so well. He's able to make plays at a high level consistently, but he's also able to be the guy who's scoring goals for that team because that team's obviously, you know, it's not the deepest development program team we've seen uh, in a few years. And uh, Bordalo had to step up and kind of fill that offensive void that was left by guys like Jack Hughes and Alex Turcott and Trevor Zegras and all that. And I think his skating is the main thing for me that holds him in the third round. I think he's great. I think he's a great skater, but he just doesn't have kind of the pull away speed that can take him to that next level. But he does cut to the dangerous areas of the ice. He's not afraid to try new things. He's not afraid to shoot the puck from anywhere on the ice. I mean, I see him as a, I see his potential maxing out as like a, second line scoring winger with like 20 goal 40 assist type of guy you know yeah it's uh he's he's definitely been like one of the stars of, of the usdp roster this year as uh as of course the guys you mentioned all kind of left last year for for college but uh in terms of bordello i mean he is committed to the university of michigan next year which is a pretty uh they're looking pretty stacked for the next years do you see that as a positive for bordello giving him maybe a better opportunity for development going forward I think it just depends on how uh, how the rest of that Michigan recruiting class pans out because that is a heavy, heavy class that they're bringing in. And he could get pushed down that lineup sheet real quick, depending on how Kent Johnson does, depending on a couple of those guys do. Yeah, there's so much talent coming in with Michigan and their recruiting program certainly seems to have done a good job with that. So um I guess the the biggest disagreement I feel I guess maybe is with his skating and and you kind of mentioned his his maybe top speed or that is something that needs to be worked on and um I guess with prospects it's kind of hard to differentiate sometimes uh, which ones are going to be able to improve their skating and which ones maybe not so I'm wondering for Bordalo um, what kind of factors you may look for in seeing whether he can be able to uh, project as maybe a better skater down the line. See for me with Bordalo skating I think. The biggest thing with him is like like I mentioned, he he has to get bigger, he has to get a little bit stronger, because he he does have the agility, he has the edge work. I, I think he's a really good skater technically, but like Alex said, there is that top speed element that's missing. So I think if if he gets stronger, he works on his lower body strength. It's it's only going to help him as a as an undersized player. And like you mentioned, he's going to Michigan next year. Uh, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be a one and done or even a two year and done kind of player. I think. He goes to Michigan his first year. I think he's probably going to end up being behind a guy like Johnny Beecher. He's going to end up being behind a guy like maybe Brendan Brisson. They're going to battle for that second line center job. But by by his second season at Michigan, I think he'll have a chance because Beecher will maybe move on or Beecher will kind of settle into that more third line role like I think he could be. And I think Bordelow and, and Brisson will be able to take those top two, two center jobs there. 
So I, I think Bordalo is going to be a, a guy that you draft and you you're waiting two or three years on him because he's not going to be a guy that gets right in because he does have to mature physically. Yeah, for sure. And I guess just, just alluding to, to the USDP crop this year, just because of the amount of players that left last year, he was kind of able to elevate himself into that bigger role. So um, I guess over to Alex, do you find that um, the USDB crop, maybe because of that extra playing time, has maybe gained a bit more traction? Or do you feel that um, they're, they're being more kind of properly rated as, as of now? Well, I just think that any time a kind of a star group leaves and another group comes in and you kind of have an opportunity to jump up and take the reins, it's a huge confidence booster. And I think Bordeaux just took that in stride from the beginning of the season. Uh, I really wasn't expecting him to be a point-of-game player. Uh, I was expecting more like like 35 points from him, like 30 points. But he did outperform my expectations, and a lot of that had to do with his shooting. Uh, he showed up with a way better wrist shot this season than last year. His slingshot release is just unbelievable. And if he can get some more power behind that, I think he could actually be a real goal-scoring threat in the National Hockey League. He scored 16 goals this year as well, as you, as, uh, as you're winning to his shot. So he definitely has some raw tools to uh, um, be worth uh, uh, a chance at the draft. So uh, I think it's time we move on to the third prospect for discussion today, and that is Lucas Cormier. Um, he's one of the handful of QMJHL defensemen that are expected to be taken in the top few rounds this year. So... Uh, he plays for the Charlottetown Islanders. Uh, he's a left shot, and uh, Cormier, he currently sits as a fringe first or second round player. Uh, so, Alex, you're higher on Cormier with him sitting at 21st on your board, while Tony, you have him in the middle of the second round at 49th. So, uh, we'll start with Alex this time. Uh, what's your case for Lucas Cormier? So, Lucas Cormier is one of my absolute favorite prospects in this draft, regardless of uh, round, position, anything nationality i absolutely love his game everything about it i think he does so well um i think he's got some room to improve defensively as you know most prospects do but when it comes to transition game edge work and offensive zone play there's really only one or two guys who play better than cormier from the back end in this draft and that starts with his edge work. His mobility is off the charts. He can walk the blue line better than pretty much anybody. Uh, he's got this incredible 10 and 2 agility. He can see passing lanes before they open up. He takes risks. He's got a rocket of a shot. He's got a great one timer. He's got a great wrist shot. He's He can be a real, real game breaker at the next level. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's definitely put him in a lot of first round boards lately. And uh, I guess to Tony, I, I noticed that Cormier was actually pretty high up for you at the start of the season. So uh, I'm just wondering maybe what's bumped him down in your eyes. The reason he was high up is every reason that Alex just said. He, he's got that elite, elite edge work. He's, his skating is pretty is just fun to watch. He's, he's a guy that can do a lot offensively. But like, like Alex said, there, there are defensive issues in his game. Um, but my, the big thing that kind of started to concern me about halfway through the year. And then I kind of just kept leaving up, up high for, with kind of faith was his power play production, like over 50% of his production this year came on the power play. And generally I, I don't tend to knock guys until it gets to that 45, 50% mark. 
But with Cormier, he's I, I almost find he's two different players at times. When he's on the power play, he commands the ice. He has he has control over everything that's going on from manipulating where the defensive players kind of line up on, in the offensive zone to where his his own team kind of circulates the offensive zone. So as a power play guy, uh, he's a top 10 guy for me. He's he's I, I love his power play game that much. Like I would put him with the, that group of 10 that I have at the top. But the the issues that I see with his defensive game, he's he's a very aggressive defender at, at times, I find where he he likes to get in the back pocket of a player. And then if that guy starts skating around the zone, Cormier follows him a little bit too much for my liking. Um, he completes a lot of passes. His, his pass completion percentage is, is well above where I'd like it as a defenseman. I think he's up almost at 90 percent. Like he's an efficient, efficient passer. But at five on five, that drops to almost 80 percent. Um, so there's less room on the ice. You're you're going to end up having a lower passing percentage. Um, but the big thing with him defensively is I don't really love his game defending the rush. He he skates well backwards, but as soon as the, the forward breaks to a side and he has to pivot, he kind of crosses over awkwardly and he has a little bit of a almost like a, a stutter step to his pivots. And I, I see him get blown by a little bit too much like that. But he's a guy that if he's there in the second round and, and someone's willing to, to like really push or even at the end of the first round, I, I wouldn't be opposed to drafting him because he's, he's got all those tools that I mentioned and that Alex mentioned. It's he's one of those players that if you can bring a little bit of what he does on the power play a little bit more consistently to the five on five play, he's a top 20 guy for me. Yeah, and you talk about his power play as being uh, very high end as a quarterback, and that kind of reminds me of another QMJHL defenseman in Lucas, or sorry, in Jeremy Poirier, just in that uh, how electric they can be on the power play. Um, but I guess to Alex, uh, just I'm wondering if you have any rebuttal on the topic of maybe five v five play. Do you have more faith in his skill set that he could be able to translate uh, to more five on five scoring? Yeah, so I agree with pretty much everything Tony just said. Um, just the fact that he's able. Just the fact that we see it when he's on the power play and he knows that it's five on four. He knows he can take over the game. He knows he's got that extra space. He knows that he can just kind of skate around the zone. He's got the confidence to just have the puck on his stick forever. I think that just seeing that element of his game existing on the power play is enough for me to take him somewhere in the first round because I know that it's teachable. You know, at five on five, he can he can bring that to his five on five game. And again, with uh, with his pivoting on defense, he does get blown by a lot. And uh, I think for someone who skates as well as he does, I think speed is definitely a question. I think his top speed could be improved for sure. Mm-hmm. And just looking at Cormier's general profile, um, something that definitely stands out is that he is a shorter defenseman. He is under six feet. He's five ten. So, which I, I'm sure. Um, will make some teams wary of, of maybe his his uh, translatability going forward. So I guess to Tony, do you find that um, maybe just being a shorter defenseman is is still a concern to you, or is uh, the NHL more moving past it at this point? Uh, I'm always the guy that's pushing. It's okay to draft smaller players, so I'm not gonna like hate on Lucas Cormier for being a little bit undersized, um, because he is such a, a dynamic skater, especially with his agility and, and edge work. He, he's a guy that can kind of make up for his size by being in the right position if he can get kind of his head on straight in the defensive zone. Um, you mentioned Jeremy Poirier, and that's a really good comparison in terms of 
there's a lot of offense and the defense needs work, but Poirier is kind of like the extreme of both of them almost. So I like Cormier. I I like Cormier quite a bit more than I like Poirier now. And he's a guy that like Alex said, if you can get those, those few little things to work out, you're going to, you're going to nab a steal if you can get him later than outside the top 20. Mm -hmm. And and I'll give the the last word to Alex here because the last point I want to kind of bring up is about the QMJHL in general as a league. Um, because th- there are certainly differences between the WHL, which has sort of bigger, more defensive defenders, and then the QMJHL, which is, um, which c- can occasionally give forwards some more space. And um, and I-, I guess as these two, as uh, guys like Cormier and Poirier kind of tie into, is that th- it's the defensemen are very involved in the offense. So I'm wondering if, because he plays in the QMJHL, how do you find that may affect his uh, translatability going forward? I just think that he's the type of player who's got all the tools to succeed no matter where he's playing. Um, he's clearly adaptable. He's got the edge work. He's got the mobility. He's got pretty much everything. I see him as kind of just like a Sam Gerrard light type of player, just without that defensive presence quite yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison. I guess, Tony, do you have any maybe other comparisons for, for Cormier? Oh, he, he's a guy that... He's almost got a little bit of Sam, Sam Gerrard in his game, uh, the Colorado Avalanche defenseman. I mean, they're both really, really mobile. They're both undersized. And I think Gerrard's kind of done what Cormier needs to do. He's he's refined his defensive game a bit. He's still not outstanding by any means, but he's he's at least average at this point. And he's he's a guy that uses his stick and uses his smarts to defend. And that's what I think Cormier is going to have to do at the next level. He's not going to be a guy, like you said, he's, he's 5'10", 170 pounds. He's not going to be a guy that's laying guys out or or crushing guys at the boards. But I, I have seen feistiness in him. Like he battles in the corners hard and stuff. And he's got a good stick. So he pull, he comes out of those battles really, really well, usually with the puck. And he's able to move the puck quickly. Um, I don't really have a ton of worry about the QMJHL because I think in my mind, it, it maybe equates to an extra half season at the AHL level, kind of working out some of the, the running gun that the QMJHL has. But, uh, I think Cormier is going to be a good good prospect, and whoever drafts him probably is going to draft him a lot higher than I have him ranked. Yeah, and along with guys like Samuel Gerard, there's we saw this course this season, there was Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr who kind of led the way for these undersized defensemen too. So it's certainly turning into a new era for the NHL with uh, allowing these shorter players to thrive. And I guess speaking of short players, I think we should move on to the final player of discussion, who is uh, our small boy, Yuso Mayanpa. He's a centerman. He plays for Jokerit in the Finnish Junior A-League, and he's expected to be taken anywhere from uh, around the second to fourth round where the consolidated rankings have him. Uh, but in terms of your guys' lists, uh, Tony, uh, you have Mayanpa pretty high up. You're at uh, 35th on your list. And uh, Alex, you have him further down at 130th. So uh, we'll start with Tony. Why should a team take an early chance? Well, I'm going to say this first of all. This is a reach, and I'm sticking my neck out big time with this guy. He, he, I, I just love Mayanpa's game. He's like we talked about in the in a in our DMs yesterday about uh, Yoki Nevalainen coming out with some of the different sizes between central scouting and on elite prospects. And of course, right before I have to go and talk about Mayanpa, he becomes a five foot four player. I mean, I can't defend him being five foot four. I, I don't think he's actually five foot four. He, he, he looks five eight, five seven on the ice. Um, but he's a guy that. When when you watch him play, he's always getting to the middle of the ice. 
Uh, he 80% of over 80% of his shots are either medium or high danger chances and over 50% of his shots are from high danger areas inside the home plate area and in, in the offensive zone. Uh, that, that 50% is insane for a high danger chance rate. Um, his playmaking's creative. He's super, he spots guys all over the ice. Uh, one thing I do think he needs to work on is like, he's able to get the passes through at the junior a SM legal level in Finland. But I don't know if he's going to be able to get some of the passes he tries to make through at higher levels. He's going to need to become a little bit more conservative with his playmaking. But if he can keep some of the creativity that he has, he's going to be really effective. Um, this isn't going to be a pick that a conservative team makes. It's going to be something where a team has multiple picks in the second round, maybe. But he's a guy that I'm sticking my neck out for a little bit. I have him higher than a lot of people do, but he's just a ton of fun to watch. Totally. And I can always applaud someone sticking their neck out for prospects they like. So I, I so as you alluded to, um, uh, Yoki Nevelainen kind of mentioned on Twitter that uh, Central Scouting does have him as, as a five foot, uh, 4.75 inch player, as opposed to what we thought of five seven. So that would make him the shortest player in the draft by actually a fair margin, if that's true. Uh, so I guess to Alex, um, what, what, do you find that your assessment of Mayanpa is any different? Or are you less convinced of him as a prospect? Uh, I'm a little bit less convinced of him as, you know, like a primary playmaker. But he's still a fantastic little player. He's quick. He's shifty. He's got some sick edge work. He can make really, really tight turns because of how small he is. He's only 130 pounds, which is a bit concerning. But he was able to score at, you know, point-per-game pace in the junior A. Um, which is no small feat and he can kill penalties. He's great at cutting to the middle of the ice. He's got a good shot. I think that, you know, holding his size against him at this point would just be unfair. You know, if, if my pa was six foot, 160 pounds, I think he'd be a, a surefire for a second round pick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you mentioned he, he went nearly a point per game in Junior A SM Liga. Uh, so over to Tony, I, I just noticed in consolidating a bunch of rankings that, um, especially in, in some more mainstream sources, kind of tend to underrate the Junior A League a bit. And even on the draft table last year, we saw some players uh, fall into later rounds that we didn't expect from the Junior A League. So it's wondering, do you find that maybe it's an underrated league in total? And, and whether you think uh, that may tie into how Mayanpa is affected on the draft table? Yeah, I think it's it's... The, the Finnish league has always kind of been underrated. Um, I, I personally, I think it's the second best league in Europe for junior junior age players, unless they're playing pro over there. But he's yeah, it's it's one of those things where Europeans always tend to get underrated and they always go later than they should. And that's something I've kind of taken into my own thought process this year is, all right, I have a, a European kid and a, a North American kid. In my eyes, I see them almost as even. So I kind of give the edge to the European kid because he is the guy that's not going to get scouted as much. He's the guy like I think Yoki Nevelainen did a a study where th- there was uh, four or five teams in the NHL that only have two or less European scouts. So it's 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 a, a league that I, I feel like doesn't get scouted enough. It's a league that doesn't get the credit it deserves. Um, it, it's to me, it's the easiest of all the junior leagues in Europe, considering the super elite in the MHL to scout, because I think the the junior ASM Liga plays a little bit more of a pro game than either of uh, a North American pro game than either of those two leagues. But it's, I, I think my is a really, really high end player. He's got a ton of skill. 
his size is obviously going to be a, a factor. He's going to have to prove himself at every level he gets to, but he's going to have a chance to to maybe play some Liga games next year, and I think that's going to be the big decision. He's he's certainly a boomer bust guy, though. Yeah, uh, that that height factor we've mentioned it a whole bunch is that it, it really can affect how a prospect translates their abilities to higher levels. And uh, I'll give the, the last word over to Alex um, because he's five five seven or five foot four, or whatever it is, wherever he falls in there. Do you think that may be able to limit his role? Um, if so, what, what role do you find that he may be best suited for in that sense? Uh, I think the only way that it would limit his role in future leagues would be if the coach has a bias against smaller players. Um, I think Mayanpog really just he does everything right on the ice. He's a buzzsaw. He's just so fast. He's so aggressive. He's so creative. And I really hope that he ends up in a system that doesn't, you know, use his height against him. Um, maybe there's a case to be made that he could do better on the wing than at center. Um, but I, to me, he's he's a player. Mm hmm. Uh, I think that actually wraps it up for the debate portion of this episode because I have one last question for you guys as always with these episodes is I want to give you guys a chance to just to shut out some of your favorite late round sweeper picks. So uh, we'll start with Alex for this one. Uh, who are some of the guys that have uh, caught your ride this year? All right. So pair of Russians first, Anton Kosolopov from MHK Dynamo Moskva in MHL. One of my favorite players. Elite speed, great penalty killer. He's got some really quick hands in tight. Not the most creative player, not the best shooter, but you know, I think he can be a really good Swiss Army knife type forward down the line. And then just I've got just one more that I'm really high on. Uh Stephen Halliday from Dubuque in the USHL. Big, big player. Huge shot, lays guys out. I think he's 220 pounds, and he can make plays at a high level. Yeah, he's an interesting name you mentioned because uh, he's committed to the University of North Dakota, which I guess the Sens have drafted no shortage of prospects going there lately. So uh, exact same question over to you, Tony. Um, are there any uh, prospects who have caught your eye this year? One of the guys that really caught my eye this year, and it was negatively initially during the year, is Evan Veerling. Uh, his draft stock has kind of plummeted throughout the year, but I, I think there's something to be said. There's something there with him. Uh, the, the season was kind of a tale of two beerlings. Um, he in Flint, he was struggling a bit. He was hurt off and on, and he, he never really got his game going after a pretty decent rookie year last year. And then he got traded to Barry and it was like his game blew up. He, he started playing with Tyson For Forrester and he was like the perfect foil to Forrester's goal, goal scoring. Uh, he, he was a dynamic playmaker. He's a really light on his feet, good skater, quick skater. Um, I think the first half of his year is going to cause him to drop a bit, and some team's going to get a, a decent playmaking center pretty late in the draft. Uh, another player I want to give a shout-out to is uh, Maxim Beriozkin. Uh He's a winger from Lo local Yaroslavl. This dude is just... Uh, every time I watch him play, I just I, I get giddy. I, I like sit there and I pat my knees because... You know he's going to do something good. He's going to score some big goal, whether he's driving down off the wing or he's just – I watched him the other day bowl a guy over before dangling the goalie. He's This guy, he's big. He's strong. Uh, the big knock on him is his skating. His skating can be a little bit lumbering. At times, it looks like he's skating in quicksand. 
especially off the acceleration. But if he if he gets going, he has really, really decent top, like good top end speed to get by guys. But he, he needs to get that, those first few steps going. I, I think he's going to be a steal late in the draft. Awesome. Well, it's definitely some players to think about. And I mean, I'm personally a fan of Bur- uh, Brioskin as well. So, yeah. So thanks again, guys, for joining the podcast. Uh, but before we go, uh, the listeners need to know where to find your work. So uh, we'll go Alex first and then Tony second. Uh, so, Alex, uh, where can the listeners find your work? Uh, you can find my work at futurescopehockey.com or just on Twitter. Just search up futurescopehockey. It'll take you right to my website. Awesome. And to Tony, uh, where can everyone find your work? Uh, majority of my work's over at dobberprospects.com. You can find me at Twitter on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. Uh, as you said, I was I'll, I'll be releasing my rankings early next week on Twitter. Let everyone rip me apart and have fun like that. And uh, on Monday morning, actually, I'll be having a, uh, a draft article go out that actually details a lot of this deep sleepers, including Max and Barry Oskin and uh, guys like uh, Lucas Svakovsky and Zaid Wisdom as well. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it, guys. Uh, appreciate all the work you've been putting in this year. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time for today's episode. As I wrap it up, just a reminder that you can find the Cost for Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you really like it, you can rate and review it on those platforms as well. You can find me on Twitter at CudmoreCullen. And for Trevor, even though he wasn't on this episode, you can find him on Twitter at ShaqTS. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at CP Pointcast, where you'll be the first to be notified of future episodes, as well as submit listener questions in the future as well. We have one more episode of Draft Debaters in store for you. Uh, that'll be coming this Thursday in a super special episode too, a bit of a special edition, so stay tuned for that one. But that's all for today, folks. Adios.